true, isn't it? Man, loving people can be messy. It just can. And uh, we're in the midst of a series on conflict resolution. There was, a, there was an efficiency expert, and he was talking uh, to a bunch of people. He was giving a lecture, and at the end of his lecture, he said, he said I want to give you a caution. Do not try these techniques at home. And uh, one, of the, one of the people in the, uh, in the seminar said, well, why not? And he said, well, after years of not paying attention, I suddenly noticed my wife's routine at breakfast. He said she made lots of trips to the refrigerator, stove, table, and cabinets. Often she carried just a single item at a time. So I asked her, honey, why don't you try carrying several things at once? It would be so much more efficient. Well, did your suggestion save some time, the attendee asked. Actually, yes, the efficiency expert responded. It used to take her 20 minutes to get breakfast ready. Now I do it in seven. <laughs> right? Conflict occurs. We rub, we rub against each other. Conflict happens. It's inevitable. A groom wanted to surprise his bride on their wedding day, so he arranged with the bakery to have a Bible verse inscribed on the cake. Now, he chose 1 John 4.18 which reads, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Beautiful verse. Great for the occasion. Unfortunately, the baker, not being familiar with the Bible, got the verse wrong. And on the day of his wedding, the groom was surprised to find the cake inscribed with John 4.18 instead of 1 John 4.18. And John 4.18 reads, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Now, where's the conflict there, right? Who knows? At a former job on Boss's Day, actually, I got that one in an email, the one that I just read about the wedding cake, and then uh, a reader responded with this one and said, this happened to me. Um, at a former job on Boss's Day, my direct reports got together and bought a beautiful small engraved plaque telling me they appreciated my leadership. At the bottom of the plaque was engraved a scripture reference. I went to the Bible Gateway to look it up. What they intended was 1 Thessalonians 1.3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great honoring verse to give somebody on a plaque that you want to tell them that you appreciated. Unfortunately, the engraver put instead 1 Thessalonians 3, 1. Just a little transposition there which reads, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Now, again, she said, my assistant heard me laughing, and I told her what it said, and a few minutes later, the red-faced manager who had ordered this snatched it out of my hand and went, and it was fixed the same day. She said, I still laugh about that, but in that moment in time, she has a decision to make. What am I going to do with this? What am, how am I going to respond to this? And we all have those every day. How are we going to respond when somebody does something either intentionally or unintentionally, because sometimes it's hard to tell which is which, how are we going to react to that? And, and that's the series that we are going through. Most people, and I say most because I think there are some who, who find it their lot in life to create drama in other people's lives, but most people want to live 
in that perfect relationship where there's no conflict, where we always get along, where we're happy, where we always feel that support, but we know that we're all imperfect people. Every one of us. There isn't any one of us that that isn't going to make a mistake or fail in some way, shape, or form. And so we need to know what to do when that happens or when somebody else fails. You know, this being Super Bowl Sunday, I was, I was reading some things this morning, and, and they were talking about, the, and I think it was 1991, if, ever, if I remember the date right, when uh, the Buffalo Bills were, were on the cusp of winning the Super Bowl. And, and they have a like 25-yard field goal to kick to win the game, and, and their kicker, Norwood, all pro, gets up to kick the kick, and of course you know exactly what happens. He missed it. He missed it. Now, this was, how many years ago was, was 1991? Wow, 26 years ago. Um, here's what happened. I mean, what if a kicker did that in our culture today? Seriously, it's just a game, right? But what if that happened? Would the fans forgive him? I don't think so. Would, would he get death threats? Probably. I mean, those sorts of things happen. What happened in 1991 was even though they were the losing team, they had a big celebration when the team got back to town. 35,000 people showed up. 35,000 people showed up to cheer the losing team, though they did make it to a Super Bowl, which only two teams every year do. Norwood, as you can expect, is trying to fade into the wallpaper. I mean, he doesn't want to be noticed because he feels pretty responsible for the fact that, that they were, they came in second, which, you know, in competition, you know, is first place loser. Um, it, that, that's where they were at. And, uh, all of a sudden the crowd starts to yell, Norwood. They start chanting his name. And, and you might think, well, yeah, they wanted to lynch him, right? No, they wanted him to come up and speak, and they wanted to make sure that he knew, that they knew that he was still a part of the family, that he was still a part of the team, that, that even though he made a mistake, there will be other times for him to kick and make the field goal. Is that not, I mean, that is amazing to me, that that, that happened at one time in our culture. But it seems today that, that it's different. Um, and, and I want us to be different. I, I trust that you've been inviting as we've been working through this series, if you've been here the entire time. Um, maybe you were sick one day and you watched it on Facebook. You know, we stream live on Facebook every Sunday, and, uh, and I think finally today we're getting the sound right, so if you've struggled to hear it when you've been stuck at home, um, hopefully today that's taken care of. We'll see. Uh, post-service, but uh, you can always join us on Facebook Live. Um, but I trust that, that you have, have been praying and seeking the Lord uh, to have him change you and mold you as you face other people in conflict in your everyday life. Um, now, our theme verse for this series is Romans 12.8, which says, if it is possible, if it is possible, live at peace. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because we know that there's those times when that other person is just, they're just downright unwilling to forgive, to accept, to, to reconcile, whatever. But that doesn't get us off the hook. We don't say, well, they're not interested, so forget it. No, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches us. Uh, we're going through the four G's of Christian reconciliation. 
um, as listed by Peacemaker Ministries, which you can find at peacemaker.net. If you struggle with with this, um, even when we're finished with the series, you can go to peacemaker.net and you can read more and and they have stuff, they have books that, that can help you get through this because it's important. You know, we should, life is just miserable if we're constantly at odds with other people. Uh, peacemaking seems to be such a foreign concept in many parts of our world today. But as we heed the word of God and remain faithful to our Lord and Savior, we can be a part of the solution, not continue to be a part of the problem. So we began the first Sunday two weeks ago talking about glorifying God. There's something about stepping back and putting our eyes on our creator and worshiping him and saying, Lord, um, work in this situation. Put me in the place you want me to be. Um, The second thing, last week we looked at getting the log out of our own eye. You know, oftentimes we have these biased blind spots where we can see just the smallest things wrong in the lives of other people around us, and we're missing stuff that is just huge in our own life, whether it be sin or just an unwillingness to surrender ourselves completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And today the third G is gently, gently restore. Gently restore you see, conflict is like fire. It can have two different sides. One side could be, can be the side of burning things up, destroying them. Conflict can be that part, that side of fire. But there's the other side that, that is good. It creates heat. It produces light. And conflict can be that very thing. And this, this G that we're talking about today is what turns ourselves and the direction of the conflict in the light direction turns it in the light direction. So gently restore. Uh, when you're in the midst of a conflict or you get the sense that one is beginning, what sort of thoughts do you have? What sort of emotions do you experience? Um, oftentimes there are, there are thoughts of, well, I'm right. Right? I mean, you know, if they would just figure that out, then things will be just fine. Um, we can be prideful. Um, we can be we can be angry. We can experience hurt, and and when we experience those emotions, which are not wrong, how we react to those then becomes key. What am I going to do with this hurt? What am I going to do with this anger that's welling welling up inside of me? What am I going to do with this this feeling of betrayal that I experience? And we know that in healthy peacemaking, if we just sort of hope to sweep it under the rug and ignore it um, and think that it's going to go away, that it's not. It won't happen. It won't happen. Um, We need to think through the conflict, the feelings, our response, and we need to respond appropriately. And that's what we're talking about today. Matthew 18.15, I believe I have it up on the screen, says this. I don't have it up on the screen. If your brother sins against you, everybody knows. I mean, if you've ever been in a conflict, right? Somebody said, well, Matthew 18. Matthew 18.15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Where does your mind go when you hear that verse? Right? During a basketball game, the coach sees something on the court that's not right, and he wants to correct somebody. I mean, what's the thought? I'm going to go show that person their fault. Right? And, and we sort of live our lives that way. Somebody did something wrong against me? Okay, well, Pastor Dave said I need to confront them. So I'm going to go confront them. 
And, and, and oftentimes we do. We, we, and as we think about it, we think, well, I mean, there's not just that one thing. This person is, this has offended me lots of times. And we start to make a list. Right? And it's like, okay, I, I'm going to go, got to go confront this person. So, so we, we, we call him, we say, hey, we need to talk. And we might even say it that way. We need to talk. And, and when you get there to the appointment, wherever it is, you know, you've got your, your list in hand, you've got your billy club at your side, and you're ready to confront this person. That's, if we just sort of, I think, take that verse only in and of itself, that's kind of the conclusion that we can draw. We need to stand toe-to-toe with this person, and we need to hash this out. And, and usually, the hashing it out is convincing them to see whatever it is our way. Okay, they're not the opponent. That person sitting next to you, that person that you work with, they are not your opponent. They are a fellow human being with faults just like you and me, with, with specks and logs in their eyes just like we have specks and logs in our eyes. And, and we, need to, we need to glorify God. We need to get the log out of our own eye and we need to go into that with the idea of gently restoring. And here's why. Here's why I say this, because just before this passage, we find Jesus giving a metaphor of a loving shepherd who goes to look for a wandering sheep and then rejoices when that wandering sheep who went there intentionally is found. No judgment, no condemnation, forgiveness, acceptance, restoration to the flock. That's that's Matthew 12 through 14. Then we hit Matthew 18, 15 which is introduced after telling this theme of restoration. And then Jesus repeats the theme after telling us to go and show him his fault by adding, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, so our intention is to restore the relationship, to win our brother over, not to conk them over the head with whatever evidence or support we have. Now, we need to be truth-tellers, yes, but we need to recognize that Jesus is calling us to something much more loving and redemptive than simply standing toe-to-toe with somebody and confronting them over something. You know, he hits that restoration verse a third time, or that restoration theme a third time in verses 21 through 35 of Matthew chapter 18, where he uses the parable of the unmerciful servant to remind us to be merciful and to be forgiving to others as God is merciful and forgiving to us. I mean, what would happen if God treated us like we treat other people sometimes? We wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't be sitting here. So turn or write in your notes or look up on the screen to Galatians chapter 6. This is the one verse that I want to hit today. Galatians chapter 6. And it gives us solid counsel to what our attitude and our purpose ought to be when we go to another person. To, to, either, to either confront them or to, to work on hashing out a conflict or if, it, it might be even a case where, where they're living in sin and, and we need to confront them with it. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should should restore that person how? Gently. Gently. 
Two words for today, restore gently. Restore gently. Now, I, I do want to mention something here before we, we talk about a, a process. And that's that, you know, I don't think we need to confront everybody on every little thing. I, you know, I, I know I said we can't just sweep things under the rug. I, I'm talking about things that of importance we can't sweep under the rug. Because there are things like you ask, you ask your wife or your husband to, to get a gallon of milk on their way home and they got busy at work at the end and they forgot and they get home. You know what? We'll get it tomorrow. Okay? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, I did make a big deal about that one time. Um, or, or whatever else. There, there are things that we need to just, we just need to let it go. We just need to let it go. Here's some questions that you can ask yourself um, to make the determination. How, how can an offense be overlooked? Can the offense be overlooked? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Look at Proverbs um, 19, verse 11. It says this, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Okay, don't jump. This is another thing that's prevalent in our culture today. Jumping to a conclusion. Making an assumption. Assuming something. When we don't know it's true, and in that assumption, uh, before, we call it gossip, and it was gossip when people actually, you know, talked to another person. Today, it's Facebook or Twitter or some other um, social media that you just throw it out there, right? You can throw anything out there, whether it's true or not. I, this, this isn't really a case in point, but I, I was looking through Facebook last night, and there was a thing about these really cool um, light pillars in Wyoming. That was the headline. And I'm, I'm watching the video, and I'm like, this lady's from Pennsylvania, and, and, and they're talking about it. And then I thought, well, I will read some of the comments. I, I, it was cool. Light shining up off of ice crystals and reflecting back down. It's a phenomenon that doesn't happen very often. It was Wyoming County in Pennsylvania. But, but the title said nothing about county. It said Wyoming. So if you're like me, you see anything Wyoming in the news, you read it, right? It's like, wow, cool. Why? Yeah, no. So as a general rule, an offense should be overlooked if you can answer no to all of the following four questions. These are in your notes. The first one is this. Is the offense seriously dishonoring to God? Is this something that just flat drags the, the, the name of God through the mud? Is, is it obvious? Um, is it an affront to his word or our faithfulness to him in this relationship with this person that we know? Is it obviously sin? Number two is this, has it permanently damaged a relationship? Is, is this offense something that, and I mean it's in concrete. If, if nothing changes from here going forward, this, this relationship is damaged. Okay, permanently damaged. Now, I recognize that there's going to be, when something happens, there's going to be some discomfort. I'm, I'm not talking just simple discomfort. You know, you got to see that person again or or whatever, and you just kind of feel, you know, it's just kind of awkward. Um, but, but this is a permanent damage. Number three, is it seriously hurting other people? See, our, oftentimes we think our sin, it, it only hurts us. This is a, this is a huge um, 
way people justify pornography. It, it's just, it's, it's personal, right? It doesn't affect anybody else. But, but it couldn't be further from the truth. It, it does affect other people. Are there others affected by what's happening? Have they been hurt? And then finally, uh, number four, is it seriously hurting the offender themselves, the person that is involved in this or that's, that's on the other side of the conflict? Are they being hurt? They, they, they are just not seeing it or, or, um, or they are. It's an obvious sin. They, they're, they're caught up in a, a biased blind spot as we talked about last week. Um, those logs in their own eye, or even specs for that matter, if you answer yes to any of those questions, then I would say an offense is too serious to overlook and that you need to have a conversation with this friend or this um, fellow co-worker or whoever it might be. And in which case, that conversation needs to be private and it needs to be loving. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, that's important. Get, that's getting the speck out of our own eye. We're submitting ourselves. We're humbly going to this person and saying, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Gently uh, should restore that person gently. So here's eight actions that will help put us in the right frame of mind and guide us as we seek to gently restore another person. Okay? First one is this, pray for humility and wisdom. Pray for humility and wisdom because, folks, we all need it. We all need wisdom and we all need humility. Uh, too often time, too often we, we go into situations like this with a, with a prideful chip on our shoulder and we're going to overcome this other person or they become our opponent and we're going we're gonna to win the debate. We're going we're gonna to show that we're in charge and that we know better. We need to pray. We need to... Uh, part of... Part of this step is glorifying God, asking him to put us in the right place. The second action is this, plan your words carefully. Have you ever rehearsed a conversation in your head? I have. Sometimes when I rehearse them, they don't turn out so well. So I change things up, and I, I think of other things that I could say and how I could say them. And honestly, sometimes, they, it, it just, sometimes it doesn't go well, but sometimes it does because we've thought about this. And think about, think about if you were on the other side and somebody was coming to you, how would you want them to approach you? What would you want them to say to you? Too often, in, in anger, we lash out and we throw words out there and we can't get them back. We need to... Plan our words carefully. The third thing is this. Anticipate likely reactions and plan appropriate responses. You, you may even need to sit down with a trusted confidant, and I mean that. They're not going to tell anybody about this. You're not going to them to get their support. You just want them to help you in figuring out how to to talk to this person about it. it. It it could be your husband or your wife. If it if the conflict is with your husband or wife, somebody that you know that's in your same place in life that you trust to be a bringer of wisdom, not just what you want to hear. Not the worst thing for a married husband or wife to do would be go would be to go to a single person at work and ask them for advice on all things marriage. 
So, so we, need to, we need to rehearse that as well. What, how might they respond? What if they say this? What if they say this? What, what will I say then? What do you say to someone who says, after you uh, apologize and tell somebody that, that what they said really hurt you, what do you say when they say to you, well, good, because that's how I wanted you to feel. What do you say to that? Be ready. Have an appropriate response in mind. Number four, choose the right time and place. In the front of the church, after a service in front of 150 people is probably not a good place to have a conversation like that. You know, in the atrium is probably not a good place to have a conversation like that. It's quite possible that alone, you and this other person together, is not an appropriate place or time to have a conversation like that. You need to choose the right time and the right place. Wives, during the Super Bowl, it's not a good time to talk to your husband about something that you think he's doing wrong. Right? I know, it's just a football game. But give him the three and a half hours and wait till it's over. Because you would want her to do the same thing, right? She's into a movie, let's say. I know it's not as important as a football game, but she's into a movie. (laughs) And you want to talk to her about something, and you're thinking, I want to do this right now. And, I mean, you can tell she's into it. you got to just wait. Just have respect for the other person that you're going to talk to. Um, Let's see, one, two, three, four, five. The fifth thing is this. Assume the best about the other person until you have facts to prove otherwise. Proverbs 11.27 says this, Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to one who searches for it. If you're making stuff up, you're going to find it. Assume the best about the other person until you have facts to prove otherwise. I mean, what is a fact anyway? Anymore. It's hard, isn't it? I've actually gotten to the point where anything political on my Facebook page, I hide it. Or I unfollow the person if they just insist on consistently posting stuff like that. Because I don't even know if that's true. Whatever it says. Whether it's pro whoever I like or against whoever I like. Um... Next, one, two, three, four, five, six. I didn't number these for some reason, and I didn't number them in your notes either, did I? The next one is listen carefully. Listen carefully. Proverbs 18, 13 says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Listen carefully. We're not a listening lot, seems. We need to listen carefully. Maybe there's additional information that you don't know. Um, maybe, you've some, maybe somebody's had your ear that's just been promoting untruth, and, and that's what you're basing this on. And you need to sit down with this person, and you need to say, hey, look, um, this is, I mean, I've said this to people. Look, I heard this. Clear it up. Is it true? Is it not true? I, I need to hear it from you because it's about you. Tell me. 
And it's so nice to find out more often than not that there, it, it, maybe there was a half-truth in there or the person was swaying the truth, you know, just to promote their side and not the other. Listen carefully. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame, Proverbs says. The next one is this. Speak only to build others up. Woo. We tell our children, right, if you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. Do we live by that? Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Look, even when we're confronting someone about a conflict or we're trying to resolve something, we can do that in a positive way. We can do that in a positive way. Because, honestly, I, I just want to get to the truth. If you said that and you meant to hurt me, then I need to hear that. I want to hear that. If you said that and, and, and you realize now that, that you didn't want to be that harsh and you feel bad for that, I, I want to hear, a, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I mean, and, and both of those things um, occur in moving the relationship forward. Remember, as far as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. Do all that you can. Gently restore. Speak only to build others up. And then the final one is this. And this, you're going to go, really? <clears throat> Ask for feedback from the other person. Ask for feedback. Now, this is, you know, this is humbly throwing yourself out there. Now, this probably won't occur at the end of the conversation immediately. So, hey, I got this evaluation sheet on how I handle conflict. Could you fill that out for me? Probably not, right? But, but maybe as you're thinking about it later, because I hope that we would, you wonder, man, did, how did that go? How did, how did that other person feel when I was in the process of, of talking to them about this? Because, because my goal is to restore them. Um, I'm concerned about my skill and my ability to, to approach those kinds of situations. And, and we, can, we can sit down with somebody. Or maybe there was another person that was involved in the conversation and you can ask them, hey, so how did you think that went? No, honestly, tell me. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me, did I do all right? Was I gentle? Was I loving? Was I positive? Are there things I could improve on in the future? And, and I think especially this happens when the relationship has been restored and later, you know, you're having coffee or whatever and, you know, you're, of course, talking about how the football game went the day before or whatever and then, and then you can say, hey, you know the other day when we were talking, when we had that conflict and, and, and we resolved it because if we hadn't, we wouldn't be sitting here drinking coffee? What was that like for you? What was that like for you on the other side of that? And then, and then finally... Finally, this point, we need to recognize our limits. We need to recognize our limits. You see, only God can truly change people. Only, if it's somebody that has a hard heart, only God can, can make that change. You, you can't be wise enough or, or have the, the, 
you know, the, the, the greatest questions to change that person's heart. God's the only one that can change their heart. He's the only one that can change your heart. You know, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, it says this. Paul says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has them, who has taken them captive to do his will. You see, he wins when we don't resolve conflict because that's his purpose. To ruin your day, to destroy your relationships, And he does that through convincing you to act selfishly and pridefully. And he has no power over you. As a a believer in, in, in Jesus Christ, Satan has no power over you. You don't have to listen to his temptations. You can say, you know what? Nope, I'm going to do this God's way. I'm not going to be a quarrelsome person. I'm going to be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. He does use the word opponents, which is interesting. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. It's the power of God, not our power. And if an initial conversation doesn't resolve a conflict, don't give up. Don't give up. Uh, Review what was said and done and look for ways to make a better approach during a follow-up conversation. Of course, this is vitally true if you're married to the other person. Right? It may be also wise to ask a spiritually mature friend for advice and then try again with even stronger prayer support. And if repeated careful attempts at a private discussion are not fruitful and if the matter is still too serious to overlook, you should then continue in Matthew eighteen sixteen through 20 and, and ask one or two other people to meet with you and this other person to help you navigate this. They may look at you in the middle of that conversation and say, you are wrong. You need to make this right. They're not there as your support. They're there to help you with mediation and arbitration and accountability. And I think deeper relationships are worth it. They're worth it. You know, I I heard a speaker one time saying, you know, people in our culture today, millennials especially, don't know what a deep relationship is because they haven't spent the time. Relationships don't happen in a 180-character tweet or even in a text message. They happen over time, long periods of time, of conflict and, and life and journey together. I think deep relationships are worth it. A few years ago, an angry man rushed through the, the, the ricks. I'm going to say that. I don't know. Dane, Danish very well, but the Ricks Museum in Amsterdam until he reached Rembrandt's famous painting, Night Watch. When he got there, he took out a knife and he slashed it repeatedly before he could be stopped. A short time later, unrelated, a distraught, hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer and began to smash Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture, the Pieta. Two cherished works of art were severely damaged. But what did officials do? Well, I eh, guess that's damaged. Let's toss it aside. Did they do that? No. 
They got the best people, the best restoration people they could, and they set them to work at restoring those pieces as close to the original as they possibly could. They made every effort to restore the treasures, and by his sovereign grace, God can bring good out of our failures and out of our conflicts and out of our sin. J. Stuart Holden tells of an old Scottish mansion close to where he had his little summer home, and the walls of one room were, were covered with sketches that were made by distinguished artists. And the practice began after a pitcher of soda water was accidentally spilled on a freshly decorated wall and left an unsightly stain. Do you have any of those in your home? You know, maybe it's ketchup on the ceiling or something. Um, you, you just can't get it out. Um, at, the, at this particular time, a noted artist, Lord Landseer, was a guest in the house, and one day when the family went out to the moors, he stayed behind, and with a few masterful strokes of a piece of charcoal, that ugly spot became the outline of a beautiful waterfall. Bordered by trees and wildlife, he turned that disfigured wall into one of his most successful depictions of highland life. And that's what God does with you and me. And he, he wants to use you and me in the life of someone else to move them in that direction too. Deeper relationships. God doesn't cast us aside. He forgives us. He heals us. He molds us and shapes us. Now as the worship team comes up and as we enter into a time of communion... I want us to think about this morning, who's our greatest example of gentle restoration? It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? The God, the all-powerful God of the universe didn't come in lightning and fire and earthquake. He came as an infant child in a, in a stinky, humble stable cave, whatever it was. And, and he lived the perfect life, which only he could. And then he was condemned to die. I was having a conversation with someone a couple days ago about all the political unrest that's happening in our country right now, people that have this idea or that idea. And he said, what do I do with this? I mean, I almost feel like, I almost feel like maybe I made the wrong decision in who I voted for, he said. Because there, he said there's all these articles saying that, that, that evangelical Christianity in the United States has failed and all of this. And I'm like, look... Um, What happened to Jesus? Was there political unrest when he was on this planet? Did anybody oppose anything that he did when it was done for the right reasons? What happened to Jesus? <laughs> they killed him. Now, we know that was a part of God's plan. It had to happen in order for what? For us to be reconciled and restored to God the Father. He came gently. He went into Jerusalem on a donkey, not a horse. Not as a, a war figure, but as a humble servant, as a lamb to the slaughter, literally. To what? To gently restore you and me. To provide the sacrifice. And then, and we know that when he died, they didn't take his life. He's, he specifically says, I give it. I'm giving it away. 
when, when, when they said, who do you say that you are, and, and all of this stuff, what did Jesus do? He sat quietly. He didn't defend himself. He didn't justify himself. He did it gently. He did it quietly. And what did his actions do? His actions provided the sacrifice for you and for me to have our sins forgiven, covered over, put instead of on our head and our shoulders, on the head and shoulders of Jesus Christ, covered by his blood. And if you are here today and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then this table right here is, is a symbol and a reminder of what he did in celebration of the fact that, that his body was broken. He was, he was crushed. Uh, he was beat. He was spit upon. He had a, a, a crown of thorns shoved on his head. This is not a movie. This happened in real life. To the point where, he, where they, they couldn't even recognize who he was. And then in the end, when Jesus surrendered his life, when he gave it up, he, he shed his blood, which is what the cup represents. So as a Christ follower this morning, if you're here today and you're still asking questions and you're not exactly sure, just let, let these things pass by. I pray there'll be a day when you know exactly what it is and you're celebrating with the rest of us and you understand the peace that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the ushers are going to come.